Hello everyone and welcome to Femme on Creatives. It is Femme on co-host Ria here and I am here talking with a very talented author and illustrator, Bethan Morvin. We've actually been talking for 38 minutes before this so that's why I'm a little bit excitable um, and I'm going to try and be a very sensible host. I'm not, I'm just going to get really excited and we're going to talk about witches and fairy tales and feminism and awesome art and all of these great things. So um, if you are one of my friends who is listening you'll know that I have talked about Bethan's books before. Um, Bethan does amazing fairy tales that are modernized that have so many more interesting messages than maybe the original fairy tales had themselves <laughs> i'm trying to be nice about people who are dead and wrote fairy tales um, <laughs> um hey fairy tales are great i love the traditional fairy tales but i think what's really unique about bethan's work is is her modern take on it and her illustrations are just amazing and also um your your little red book was the first book that was gifted to my daughter so that means a lot to me it means so much to me and uh, we had bought her some books beforehand but sort of like very sort of like young child black and white bright colored books for them to look at and stimulate them this was the first proper book that was bought for her um by one of our friends and I remember being like oh I've never seen this before and opening it up and just being like oh my friend gets me <laughs> knows exactly what sort of books I want for my child and since then we just like absolutely fell in love with your work and as we were discussing we have most of your books <laughs> so I do feel like a little bit of a weirdo um, but also great for you because we keep on buying your books um, and your books that we don't have we constantly borrow from the library so that is why I'm slightly overexcited, as everyone knows. And as I started this saying, my friends will know. If you don't know me, I've just explained exactly why I'm excited about this conversation. So over to you, Bethan. Oh, hello. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that very generous introduction. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> God, I've gotten really excited. We were having a normal conversation until we I hit record and then I got really excited. Because I'm excited for people to hear about your work. Like I said, my my friends who have children, I've probably bought them one of your books. Um, so that's very exciting. And for those who haven't, um, this is being released in November and on up to Christmas. Please go and buy Bethan's books for any children that you know. They're amazing. They're so fun. One of the books behind you, Three Little Vikings, I laughed out loud when reading it. Um, I'm not sure my daughter <laughs> found it as funny as I did, but uh, uh, she was kind of like, oh, these little Vikings are like fun and doing things. And I'm just like laughing away. Uh, she's like, mummy's gone a bit weird. Um, so tell us a bit about you. All oh, right. So uh, <laughs> I went straight into name... it. Sorry. <laughs> So my name is Bethan Wolven and I'm a children's book author and illustrator and over the past kind of seven, eight years I've been creating uh, lots of children's books um, with a progressive slant to them. I try and make all of my children's books as feminist as possible um, and I <laughs> I have a particular passion for fairy tales and folklore. I love anything that's a little bit spooky. Um, and that's probably because they're the kinds of books that I grew up reading because that, you know, that's what my family used to share with me. Um, so yes, I've been working on a collection of feminist fairy tales and also some of my own tales that though they aren't necessarily tied to a particular story um they still have that kind of folklore uh that kind of the folklore roots to it um so yeah that's what I've been working on recently yes and I've got a lot to say about Luna and the Sky Dragon I have a whole like almost thesis about it which I won't bore you with but uh <laughs> I bored my poor husband <laughs> with it sat at Euston train station while we had to wait an hour for a train <laughs> um so we'll definitely get onto that um <laughs> um so I've just forgotten the next question I was going to ask you because I got so excited about Luna and the <laughs> Sky okay. Dragon I can't believe you've only been doing this for seven years yeah well quite a while in my I mean it feels like a long yeah. time in my <laughs> <laughs> 
did you always want to do children's books do you know I and I often feel quite bad for saying this but no no I I didn't but not because it's not an awesome job because I didn't really know it existed as a job um so probably I mean I'm gonna now bore you with my my life story Uh, (laughs) when I was at school I was really um I was really arty and not very good at quite a lot lot of sort of academic subjects um so I kind of always felt like art was the open door for me Mm. um and so I was arty at primary school I was really arty at secondary school and I went off to sixth form mainly doing arty things so I studied fine art and art history um and I think after that point I knew that if I was going to go for it, I really needed to kind of go for it in the art world. And I remember sitting down with my dad and he sort of said, <laughs> sorry, this might offend some <laughs> fine artists. <laughs> um, but he sort of said, if you're going to be an artist, you need to be one that makes some money. Um, so, you know, he's sort of saying, fight like going into uh, a slightly more commercialized side of being an artist um would probably be I suppose maybe you would have better prospects um and I after that point I decided that I was going to go and study illustration at university um and I, I wasn't really sure what area I was looking at at this point I'm at university thinking I might do anything so everything all the cards were on the table and I was just going there to make weird stuff I love that and so much. hopefully <laughs> kind of come out at the other end with some sort of job um and when I was there I you know experimented with printmaking life drawing I worked on editorial things I was work, you know working on kind of more sort of illustrated pieces like a an artist um and it was only kind of in my second year at uni where we also were doing this module alongside illustration about creative writing and so I started kind of getting into writing and I'd not really written anything like you know story-wise probably since I was at school and I then also at the same time had been sort of inspired by some of my lecturers to kind of give an area of illustration a go that you've maybe not tried and sort of landed on illustrating for children and it was kind of like a happy marriage like things came together at the right time um and I got into making children's books by sort of there was a competition that was launched by uh, Macmillan Children's Books they run it every year and it was you know the brief was kind of to to make a children's picture book and we had a bit of an open project going on at the same time at uni um so I decided to go for it and I think because of when the deadline was I had about six weeks to make a book (laughs) and (laughs) Which is a mental amount of time yeah. to make any book. I feel I so stressed now, and it was in the past. Yeah, I could say now for sure that they do not take six weeks to make. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of good because it meant that I had to be really creative with how um, I found that solution for making a book. Um, so I decided to use a story that already existed So I'm looking for, you know, stories that are out of print. There's no copyright. Um, And I chose Little Red Riding Hood. And that was, you know, Little Red Riding Hood became Little Red, my very first book. And I, you know, as I'm reading through this original text, it is just reminding me of how I felt as a kid reading this story, which is just like that feeling of almost annoyance as you're reading it thinking god this child is so stupid so naive I I remember I always used to feel like 
it is really annoying I, like this rage inside of me and I remember my as a kid reading the page where the wolf is dressed up as grandma and I just like internally be screaming thinking how do you not know what your grandma looks like <laughs> and it, it's so stressful to read that as a story yeah um and in what was meant to be a book project where I take an original story and design some really nice illustrations to go alongside it then became well I'm just gonna have to rewrite it (laughs) (laughs) so I started kind of tweaking bits here we don't need a woodcutter goodbye yeah kind of taking these elements out of the story and before I knew it, I had kind of had the bones of a feminist tale, a feminist version of Little Red Riding Hood. And I just had a whale of a time illustrating it. And we, well, at uni, we sent it off. I remember there was <laughs> a collective feeling of kind of stress, you know, clicking send um, <laughs> when I was sending off this submission. And to be honest, I was really just hoping for a bit of professional feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, the chance for someone to tell me what was good about my illustration, what wasn't. And that would have been great. I might have been able to say something in my portfolio about it. Um, I was not going into this thinking that I would win it. And when I ended up winning it, I almost was, you know, I was over the moon, but I was so surprised (laughs) (laughs) because in some ways I felt like, oh, I'm really proud of myself for making this book. But I also knew that I had been quite cheeky and made a book in six weeks, whereas I'm sure lots of people that had submitted a book that year had been slaving over their submissions for months. So it felt cheeky is what it felt like. (laughs) Um, But obviously it's it's been a delight and I feel like it it just totally launched my career into making children's books. But it was not my plan, but I'm very happy that it happened, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, But no, I, I don't think before I was at university it had never crossed my mind that being an author and illustrator especially in children's books was a job for me or kind of I I don't I don't think I ever really gave it a thought so I I can't say that it's a job I've always dreamed of doing but I am over the moon to be working in this industry now (laughs) (laughs) that's so amazing like I I mean yeah sort of like sorry to everybody else who worked so hard on all of their submissions you did it in six weeks sorry but (laughs) because you know one of the things I want to sort of touch on is how the children's market in books I kind of have a bit of an issue that it's lots of famous names just sort of making children's books and I think there needs to be more than that. And I think your work is quite disruptive to that. And I think that's probably why it won. I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not a children's book literature critic or anything like that. But for me, when we got a little read and I was reading through it, there's your art style, which I'm fascinated by. So it's, you can, for me, just hearing you say that, how what you studied at university makes absolute sense because when you read your books when you're looking at your books especially things like Little Red and Three Little Vikings it feels printed it feels like you've done printing on the page but it also looks like you've done it in crayon and and I like that there's texture to it there's something to it I feel like when my daughter reads it it's your illustrations are on her level if that makes sense that I'm worried that's come off as being oh no (laughs) you know but you know what I mean it looks like what in her what her imagination would look like but then I also there's so much texture like I said it looks like you you've printed it as a wonderful artist who I'm desperate to get on here who I've also classed as my friend called Mandy Wong and we first discovered her art at um 
East London printmakers and she does beautiful print work. She's also recently done a children's TV show, which is fantastic, um, Million Lou, but her print work is just like I'd never seen anything like it when I saw it. And I kind of feel like that with your books as well, that it's uh-huh. <laughs> there's <laughs> but there's it, there's something sp- so specific about it. And when you go to a bookshop, when you go to the library and your books are there, they stand out compared to the others. Because they also, you know, notice we like to go to like a lot of illustrated fairs and stuff like that. There is a very particular style and yours isn't that. And I think earlier before we were recording, you were talking about you were doing collages. And I was like, I could see you doing a book that was that looked like it was a collage. Like you said that, and I was like, wow, I could see Bethan doing that. Um, now I'm just giving you compliments. This is terrible, <laughs> terrible interview. Keep them coming. <laughs> what, I, what I'm really interested in as well is something that you were talking about when you were talking about when you were a child and you were reading books and you were getting frustrated and you could, and you were like channeling that emotion as an adult when you were reading Back Little Red Riding Hood. You were, you, you were remembering how you felt and reading it. And I was curious because I feel like as adults we don't get that time to think about that we don't think back to the things of when we were a child especially stories that have been updated and we don't get to look back at that and think about how it felt and then create something from that and so I found that really interesting when you think about your work both the ones you've adapted and then the ones that you you know the stories that you've created yourself I'm trying to not just talk about Luna and the Sky Dragon. It sounds like I'm really <laughs> obsessed with. Um, do you try and channel a lot of the stuff, how you felt when you were a kid? Like, I love that you said about the weird stuff. I want to ask you about, like, what <laughs> what scary books you used to read as a kid, because I was obsessed with the Amityville horror book. Oh. I was like, and I read it far too young, and I was like, oh, my God, oh the house is haunted. <laughs> oh, see, I used to, um, when I was far too young to be doing, I... I loved reading and blasted through my school library when I was at primary school and felt like I could just read anything and that there was no filter on that. So I used to sneak into my parents' bedroom and my mum is a real big horror fan and I used to pick up all of her Stephen King books and I, I was like far too young, probably didn't know what half the stuff was but that feeling of oh I'm reading something that I shouldn't be yeah is almost makes it more exciting and I channel a lot of that in my children's books anyway because I think that well my my fairy tales especially are quite dark and I think I think of um kind of creating dark children's books as it's no different to adults adults read lots of different genres some people like romance some people like crime some people like kind of horror books like my mum (laughs) (laughs) but children are no different lots Mm. of children love reading really soft gentle books some children really love reading books about cars I would have loved to have read kind of dark spooky picture books when I was little because that was my personality I loved anything like that witches wizards spooky things going on in the woods it I find it exciting to read things like that so I guess that you know that's why the kind of spookiness kind of blends in it's you know it's that feeling of oh I don't know if I'm meant to be reading yes and that is addictive when you're reading even as a child and I think in general you know working with children really helps me to kind of connect with the things that children want to be reading about um and topics they might be interested in concepts there like maybe haven't been explored before I think it's it's kind of like anything you have to know your audience and I go I go into schools all the time I do workshops for children and I think often when I'm working with them they inspire me to think of a new idea you know a new book, book concept and so it's kind of 
part of my role in that way so it all feeds its way back into my books at some point <laughs> I love that so much and there's definitely a weirdness to your books which I enjoy oh. like, and, I, and I think <laughs> but I also think that's great for the weird kids I was a weird kid I was had I was always a weird kid even from when I was really little through to now I'm 40 um like you know and and I didn't really like a lot of the stuff that my other friends liked and that made me weird like I remember like I mean I actually love princesses now I've I've gotten over that but you know when I was maybe like eight or nine and my friend had a princess party and I was like oh, I don't want to go to a princess <laughs> party I want to watch something weird I want to do something weird you know like and and I love that now you're reflecting that in your children's books it's really fun also in Little Red it's one of my favorite I'm going to call it a panel, but a favourite page in a children's book, which is, so Little Red's very smart. And as you said, she's like, clearly like, that's a wolf. Uh, <laughs> that's not my grandma. And it's just of her eyes. It's the top of her face from her nose to her eyes. I should have had the book with me. I mean, you know what you're talking about. Sure. <laughs> I know. I was like, I should have it with me. She, you know what it looks like. And she's just looking off slightly. And I love it because it, it conveys so much, but so much for a kid as well, because you've got the starkness of the way you've used colours and the way you've done it as if it's a print. And a, a kid can look at that and go, Little Red's got a plan. doesn't need any words. It doesn't need an adult to read it to them. Um, and I, I feel like this specifically with Little Red. I think it is with your other books as well, but it's so strong that, I mean, my my daughter looks at it without me reading it and she understands every beat of the story so I love that that visual element that you bring and also like you your kids can enjoy it and you can enjoy it as an adult like I said there's a lot of dark humor (laughs) (laughs) that I presume is just you you're just like I find this funny so I'm gonna put it in the story (laughs) yes (laughs) it's just my personality out in a book really because it's kind of a lot of kind of little red's behavior in this story it's yes she is mischievous and she's kind of she knows what she's doing she's wise beyond her years but also it's about having a plan Mm. and it's about being prepared and if you are gonna go out into the forest on your own you better be prepared it's it's that feeling it's kind of resourcefulness and being brave which are all really important traits so yeah it's uh, okay <laughs> I enjoyed making that story <laughs> you've basically led me into some I've already warned you I'm going to talk about this but you've led me into what I want to talk about with your books specifically you do amazing illustrations for other children's book authors don't get me wrong meet the planets meet the ocean meet the weather they're all fantastic we have them all and they're great and uh your meet the weather your snowflake with a face is also one of my favorite things <laughs> thank you I just, I, it's just so good um but your specific stories that you've written yourself and then obviously you've illustrated I've been trying to think of a condensed way to talk about this, but instead you're just going to have to get my thoughts and then then tell me about it. (laughs) So I really, I like to talk a lot about how fairy tales folklore was very much something that women told each other, women shared and passed through down the generations and they told them to their children, they told them to each other. Um, as a way to prepare them for the world, as a way to keep them safe. Exactly what you're saying about Little Red. If you're going to go out into the woods by yourself, these are the things that could happen to you, so be prepared. And those stories got disrupted by men, by the patriarchy, because obviously they did, because those stories are really powerful and they warn us about the dangers in the world. And by doing that, women are prepared and they are therefore less vulnerable. Now, for me... (laughs) I may be reaching. I've got a wonderful friend, Tony Farina, and we always say he's always reaching for stuff and he's always seeing connections that aren't there. But for me, that is a core thing in your storytelling. And the folklore tales that you're telling, the fairy tales, how you're reinterpreting them is for me, for me, (laughs) you can tell me I'm mad, is reclaiming some of that power that we've lost through very specific feminine feminine 
storytelling. <laughs> so it turns out I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I present you with that. <laughs> Respond, please. Well, I think it's, I, I mean, that is such a huge compliment, oh. first off, you know, <laughs> from one feminist to another. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I, I totally agree because at the at the the bones of all of these stories themselves like you say are quite empowered but over time they've kind of lost that and we have to suffer princes and all marriages and you know all of those sorts of things that aren't generally that appropriate for children anyway but I find that especially in children's books and the fairy tales that I've been making I've always felt like it's really, really important to write books for children. So I think it is kind of a, a bit of a misconception to to think that I write books for girls, mm-hmm. which Agreed. is is true. I do write books for girls, but I also write books for boys. Yeah, because part of creating children's books if you're going to make them progressive, if you're going to make them feminist, they need to work for everyone. Otherwise, none of the social issues change. And so creating Little Red, Rapunzel, Hansel and Gretel, all of my characters are quite androgynous for the most part. And there is no glitter, there are no eyelashes, there isn't like quite a lot of the characters are very unusual looking because they might just be a figure draped in a cloak but could I tell you what little red looks like underneath that cloak no I couldn't it's kind of she's a a creature almost and it's about her story and about kind of her being resourceful having a plan and not needing external help, which is important for all children to see. You know, quite often, you know, this is something that still happens now when I go into schools and I'm reading my fairy tales. At the beginning of a session, I'll say, oh, I'm going to be reading Little Red Riding Hood. Who has, you know, read the story before, you know, kind of get them excited. And you'll hear all of the girls cheer, and the boys will groan generally and that you know that you can say the same about Rapunzel and then by the end of it I ask the audience I say can you give me some words to describe Little Red or Rapunzel Um, and I will get words from all children like brave she's resourceful or you know she was really smart and actually it's those sorts of conversations that I feel the most like just amazed that my books are having that impact and that it's changing the mindsets in one kind of book reading essentially you've changed the minds of the whole audience from not wanting like some of them not wanting to read a story that has a female protagonist to actually at the end of it thinking, no, actually she's a really cool character. She was brave. She was smart. She was strong. And that to me is probably one of the most important parts of making books for children. Not really sure where to go from there. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But I totally agree. Like it is, I, I find it, I mean, I don't think we we have enough time to go into it, but books should never be gendered. And we don't I, need anything gendered. Don't, really. I mean, gender's a construct, but we don't have time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't need anything gendered at all. And so I love what you've just said. I, you know, I would say that I, I have a daughter. I tend to choose books that have female protagonists, that have um, LGBTQ plus characters in it, that have people from different ethnicities, religions, um, all of those sort of things. But I certainly don't shy away from books that have boys as the lead protagonist, mm-hmm. um, because 
I think that's important as well. I, I'm a big feminist, but I also believe in equality and equity. And so therefore we have to involve men in the conversation and boys in the conversation. Again, we don't have time. Um, <laughs> but I find it so interesting that you go into a classroom and you say, I'm going to read Rapunzel, Little Red, and boys, even at that age, they don't see books that happen to have a female protagonist as for them. Of course they are. All these stories are for all children. Oh, of course they are. And I think it's, you know, I think sometimes they need to, like some, some children need to be coaxed into thinking, you know, mm. this book is for you. This book's for everyone. And I think it's unfortunate, you know, lots of things, you know, toys, clothes, they're marketed by gender. And so without even realizing it boys feel like pink isn't for them and girls aren't sure whether they're allowed to play with dinosaurs and that is a problem um and it the the thing is it would be so simple to fix you could just stop marketing like that and it wouldn't be an issue and our all of our children would be able to just play and read whatever they wanted to and wear whatever they wanted to and that would be lovely but unfortunately that isn't the way things are <laughs> so it just gives me I suppose the passion and the drive to make books that are for everyone so oh, yeah okay now we're just gonna have to talk about Luna and Sky Dragon because this also fits <laughs> nicely into this conversation <laughs> <laughs> so Luna and Sky Dragon is your most recent book um when I so I met you at uh, the London Illustrators Fair and oh, yes. I was very excited and, uh, <laughs> I was like I'd seen a celebrity I was very cool everyone I, I, everybody who knows me can imagine how cool I was well, I was my voice went incredibly high and I was like oh my god <laughs> um it was I looked amazing um and you said uh, I've got a new book, Luna and the Sky Dragon. I was like, great, we're buying it. Done. And I said, uh, we love your stories. We love dragons. We love space. We love the night sky. And I was like, clearly I'm going to love this book. And off we trotted. And straight away, uh, my daughter wanted to sit and read it. And we sat and read it. And I should have known better. It was not what I expected in the best way. I looked at the cover. I was like, cool little girl looking at the sky. Clearly like no science and a dragon. But I was like, this is going to be about dragons. Awesome. Because like, <laughs> the other stuff you've done, I'm like thinking three little Vikings and stuff like that. I was like, dragons, dragons everywhere. It's going to be amazing. And it was so much better than that. Aww. <laughs> Again, this you. is just me giving you compliments. But okay, so. My Luna and the Sky Dragon thing, which again, I'm just going to say at you like I did about your stories just now, is what I love about it is you maintain the folklore elements and then you bring the science element in and you don't, in in the way you tell the story, you don't make fun or put down the village. So that the villagers believe that there is a dragon that gets angry and that they get like punishment, like they get no like drops and stuff like that, or it rains too much and it ruins everything. I'm really distilling this down to try and get myself to move on. So I'll just <laughs> I'll just say the entire plot. Um but you don't make those villagers look stupid. You don't make them feel stupid. And your protagonist Luna is science driven. She's very science and fact driven. And she's she is like, well no, it's this and it's that. And she's telling the villagers um, and the villagers aren't listening. And in the end they come together and there's this perfect mix of science and folklore and belief. And that makes the world that they're living in a better place. And you get to the end of it. And I said to my daughter, does the dragon exist? And she was like, yes. And I was like, uh, does, you know, Luna's using a telescope and stuff like this. Does, is everything that Luna saying right as well? Hopefully I said it a lot better to her than I have explained <laughs> it now. And she said, yes. And she was like, it was all just one and it all makes. And then, and she was, I think she says something like, they're all friends now. Aww. And I was like, she was four at the time. 
and she read this and you in this book you just created an understanding about something that both that both things can be true science and faith can be true that we can learn from these fairy tales from these folklores from these stories the stories that we tell each ourselves and we tell each other and we can also take in fact and science and <laughs> again I may be doing Tony Freena Reach but we currently live in a world where those two things are loggerheads yes. <laughs> I, I put in a lot <laughs> on a children's book here and I was I, I just kind of I was like you've done this in a, a short children's book in the most simplest way that a four-year-old can a four-year-old can understand I don't expect you to answer that but tell us about Luna and the Sky Dragon and I mean it I, oh, well. I love all your work but there's something about it that and again it, it sort of is into that storytelling stuff that I'm like really interested in and how we get rid of those stories but this is bringing those stories like making them future looking anyway I'll let you talk <laughs> <laughs> oh but it's all a huge compliment so thank you <laughs> I'm going to leave this episode today with the biggest head ever. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, you've totally got, you know, the idea of Luna and the Sky Dragon. And it sounds like you're like your little one did too. So that's really sweet. And I think when I was making Luna and the Sky Dragon, like you said, I really wanted to weave in. Uh, that folklore feeling and I'd been desperate to do um like a a book around the constellations Mm. but I'd not really I didn't really want it to be really really sciencey I didn't want to sort of you know create a a book of all of the myths you know that would take me (laughs) years of my life (laughs) but I wanted to you know play around with that balance between myth and science and actually our world needs both actually and I I think neither need to be right nor wrong they coexist together really beautifully and I'd kind of been inspired to create this book anyway because I know for anyone that doesn't know me I'm just I'm such a researcher I go down Wikipedia holes every day um I just love researching and that's how I kind of come up with a lot of my stories usually there's like an element that's rooted in an event in history or you know people that did really interesting things or interesting myths And with Luna and the Sky Dragon, I was quite interested in an astronomer called Aglanese. And she existed like thousands and thousands of years ago and also was considered a witch. And this is kind of in, we're talking like ancient Greece. She was considered a witch because she used to be able to trick people into kind of predicting when the moon might disappear and she used that to her advantage and you know she was just really smart she could understand that there was lunar patterns going on but actually kind of throughout history women have been erased sometimes from you know or kind of rebranded as a witch for what is actually being a scientist so I I kind of wanted to bring kind of her character alive in the form of a picture book I suppose and find a way to rewrite perhaps a character into history about um, who you know all of those thousands of years ago who could you know who had a great understanding of maths, of science, and isn't viewed as a witch. So as much as I love a witch, yeah, don't get same me wrong. Here. Witches are amazing. <laughs> but just because you're a woman doesn't mean your ideas are wrong. And it's kind of like trying to find a way to, you know, just 
fold, like find inspirational stories about women, whether they're real or not, you know, they, they don't necessarily have to exist. But if it's a story that I find inspirational about women, I bet you there are other people that will also find it really inspirational. So that's how that kind of this character of Luna came about. And I suppose she's a bit of a reimagined Aglanese from ancient Greece. Love that. See, now I get to go and read, <laughs> after this conversation, I get to go and read it again. Yeah. In my mind, and I will also now not be sleeping and down, be down on Wikipedia wormhole. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. Give it a read. <laughs> and and there is, there's something about Luna that I really admire and sort of she could almost be the villain of the piece because she is so um she's so like no it's this it's that I know this and that and then the magic starts to seep in and she still is the scientist and she still understands everything that's going on but she softens to the magic and that makes her life better and and I'm just like what an end I love that I love that so much well, of, of course. I mean, you know, in the beginning of the book, she's a scientist on her own. Yes. I mean, yes, she is isolated. Feeling like yeah. an outsider. Yeah. And she, you know, she wishes and longs for someone who might stargaze with her. But in a way, she was excluded from everyone else because, you know, she had all of these great ideas that didn't necessarily align. And they don't and understand then, them. Yeah. Yeah. Towards towards the end of the book, by opening herself up to other ideas, other possibilities and beliefs, she then has a group of people, like a community, that are also taking an interest in her and her beliefs. And it, I suppose it's all about the sharing of things, you know, of information and stories that is so important. And it, I don't know, it just kind of, I wanted to make a story that made people feel like their kind of ideas are always welcome. So I love that. I don't know where to go from that. I feel like, <laughs> how long have we spoken for? Has it been about an hour? That's probably. <laughs> Otherwise, I am just going to start describing all of your books to our listeners. And, and they'll be like, this is. This is they won't need to buy helpful. them. That's no, fine. go and buy. Please go and buy Bethan's books. As you can tell, I'm hugely passionate about them. It's genuinely an honour to be oh, talking to you. It's so exciting. I was so nervous before. Oh, stop it. You so were not. Genuinely, I was. So just, I'm not going to tell people your life story, but unfortunately you've been a bit sick recently and so yeah. we did have to put it off. And I think that actually went in my favour because I, I, I haven't been able to get nervous about it but all right so but because I really admire your work like I genuinely admire your work and I love reading with my daughter it's one of my favorite things I do with her we go to the library and she can spend all day there and she goes to the library and they've got toys and stuff and she'll play with them but then she'll pick up a book and we sit down and we can sit there for hours and read books and I've discovered so many amazing children's authors and illustrators that I'm a 40 year old woman that have enriched my lives. And these are books that my four or five year old, you know, three, we start getting you know, it when three, she we start going to the library, stuff like that, that are enriching my life. And I just think it's, it's fantastic to be able to speak to you and hear these stories from you. And I know many of my friends with and without children are, you know, will feel the same. And, I think you're very inspirational. God, this is just me complimenting you. This is really... <laughs> but no, I, t- I, I agree though, because I also feel really inspired by the children's books that are constantly coming out. Mm. I've read so many books like, just over the last few years that have genuinely brought a tear to my eye yeah. because they're really touching. And I think there are some amazing publishers, amazing authors and illustrators creating some really fantastic books for children. And I, I'm just, I'm always blown away, actually. And I just, I think it's an amazing format to read something in, especially to a little one. So Yeah. And I, I, 
I think it's become a world where from when I was a kid which was a very long time ago where new ideas can be discussed and shared and they are safe spaces to do that as well you know I think books should be available to all children I think it's hugely important and yeah I mean I, there's so many things in books that made me cry but one that makes me cry every time so ridiculous is um Oliver Jeffers Here We Are oh, and there's a it's fantastic isn't it absolutely fantastic <laughs> but there's a page that talks about so throughout it's it's very minimal words and lots of different type of people and talking about being on the earth and there's a page and and towards the end it says you are never alone and I know okay. it's coming it's just and every time yeah, coming yeah, out of my eye <laughs> and my daughter's like are they happy tears I'm like yes <laughs> yeah and I and I just like and what was one we got out from the library recently was um, Every Child is a Song. Oh. And I was like, we have to return this book because I can't read it because I cry every <laughs> single time. I was like, because yes, yeah, she really loves it. And I was to like, read it through yeah. the tears. <laughs> she really loves it. And I was like, I, I cannot read this book. Like, <laughs> I'm going to pause. I don't know if you've like read this one. You, you can keep this in. I don't mind. <laughs> Um, it's just gonna be me trying to find this book on my um so i don't know if you've read this book it's called the mouse who carried a house on his back no i haven't and it's by jonathan stutzman and illustrated by isabel arsenal and i picked this book up and it's you know it's about this little mouse here and it's got these little cut out shapes for his house and not only is it like just I love, the, I love you, that so much yeah I want that on my wall the illustrations make me cry because they're so cute oh. so <laughs> it's, it's all about this mouth and finding kind of characters along the way that need a place to stay and it's his house gets bigger and bigger over time but there's a page at the end, and I'm going to show you it, and you're going to cry. Oh, God, don't. Uh, he kind of um, gets everyone into his house, and they're all just having tea, I think, and, like, dinner. Let me see if I can find it. Because it is just, it makes me cry every time I look at it. I'm almost, I don't know why I bought this book, because it's just me... <laughs> kind of crying over it. there's little tear stains on the page but look at this why is that where so they're cute? all just having dinner and it's like a little community the it's little a, bunny like, with its ears and, down <laughs> and I think there's something about that kind of always being mm. open to help people and just look at the kind of community you can have I mean I want a fox at my dinner table. I love that fox what a nice scarf as well it's lovely isn't it That's so yes so I'd really recommend that book but you probably will cry <laughs> so uh we'll do a different series on children's books that will make you cry for all yes. the listeners <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few yeah so apart from those uh three books that you've talked about please go and check out Bethan's books um I will wrap up and let you go now is there anything else you want to talk about before we do I want to talk about witches loads but we'll maybe have to do that another time <laughs> maybe I'll have to have you on. I'm I'm quite keen on doing a witch podcast and now I know that you're into spooky things oh. Um, oh. just like a one-off type thing just talking about witches with a some cool women spooky person so I'd Ooh. love that okay what's the spookiest thing you've watched recently oh I watched what what's it called? It's on BBC. It's a film about it's a spooky film. Um it's called like This Is His House or something Ooh. like that. Oh, um, um is it just oh, is it just his house? It's about um a couple who flee from overseas. From Sudan, yes. Yes, yeah, that's it. And yes, his house. Oh, yes. It was really creepy, but it's so good. So and I did not know where it was going. At, at the end yeah, I was I like I was like there. this is I was like this is all gonna like be really bad I mean it is bad but yeah. I was just not know and I find that really unusual because I watch a lot of horror films good yeah. ones bad ones everything in between and 
very rarely do I feel like I not know where it's going and I didn't with that exactly. film I was the same it totally took me off guard and then it was it was kind of like this has gone from a spooky film to actually kind of a redemption film mm. also a bit feel good at the end I remember yes. thinking, I feel enlightened <laughs> At the end, kind of it. It was it was really emotional, actually. Mm. I mean, I probably just sound like I'm really emotional and crying all the time now, but I did cry at that film. So. <laughs> I cry on so many podcasts. Don't worry, it's just like that all the time. <laughs> but emotions are good. Emotions are, are good. We shouldn't be ashamed of the emotions. They're, you know, it's people who don't have the emotions who should seek some help. Not sure where I'm going with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> therapy is great basically I love therapy um is right where can people find you and I'll put everything in the show notes and also put loads of stuff on Instagram make everybody buy your books oh thank you um well you can find uh me on my website so it's just www.bethanwolven.com and you can find me on Instagram at bethanwolven I have quite an unusual name so there's only one of me you're going to find me quite easily. Um, but you have to be able to spell my last name. Yeah, your uh, your <laughs> surname is amazing. I love your surname. Where's it it's, from? Tell me about your name. Supposedly, I've been told that it's from Germany, but mm. like an anglicised German name, which is why it's got an unusual spelling. Um, so it's W-O-O-L-L-V-I-N, but no one spells it right. I've just, I'm at peace with that now. <laughs> No one spells it right. The best I've ever had is a letter from student finance that was to Miss Wolverine. And I'll take um, it. <laughs> that is amazing. You're like, yes, I am. Thank you very much. I am. I'll take that. That's fine. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so good. I would probably get that framed and be like, that is Yeah, me, I know. Ms. It Wolverine. is really cool. <laughs> it's brilliant. But I, the next one I got after that, They'd spelt my name right and it was just a big bill. So um, yeah, that's really disappointing, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me. It was absolutely amazing. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>